Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast, an extension of our adult Sunday school ministry and stories of grace. Pastor Brandon here, along with Pastor Steve. Hey there. And we are committed to utilizing this platform to continue our church's rich tradition of deep theological teaching through our adult Sunday school ministry. Though this unique season of following Jesus has not been without its share of challenges, we hope that you will tune in weekly to dive deeper into the scriptures as we hear from the vast array of teachers that we are blessed to call family here at Grace Church. Welcome again to the Grace Church podcast. We are so glad that you've chosen to uh, listen in here. Uh, I'm Pastor Steve, and I'm joined with Pastor Brandon. Hey there. And <laughs> and also Pastor Tim is joining us. Hello, everyone. Uh, so Pastor Tim is going to be in the book of Daniel, and we'll look forward to hearing a little bit from you now, and then uh, follow that up tomorrow with a Q&R question and response time, which is probably always was my favorite portion, not not to discredit the first section, but I, I love just being able to discuss with our teachers um, through what, what they're processing and thinking through and uh, teaching on. So uh, I will turn this time over to you, Tim, and, uh, and okay. we'll see you tomorrow. All right. Thank you, guys. Good to be with you. I always enjoy gathering together with brothers and looking into God's Word. I want to share a thought from an old story from the Old Testament, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I've been intrigued by this story for years. I remember in Sunday school, the picture of the three guys, you know, bound, ready to be thrown in the furnace, and (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar scowling. I thought, wow, these guys were brave. And I studied it in seminary years later with Old Testament theology profs with some Hebrew language studies in the middle of it, you know. So I've kind of had... Both ends, and I'm continuing to be intrigued and ask this one question, which I want to think about today. Did those guys know? Did they really know that God would preserve them from the fire? If they did, then what's the big deal? If they knew God was going to save them, I'd stand firm in my faith. I'd defy the king. I'd say, do what you want. Did they know? If they didn't know for sure, what gave them the energy and the confidence to put their life? on the line. So that's the question I want to look at. But first, let's review quickly, in case it's been a while since you've been in Daniel 3. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're Hebrews. They're in captivity in Babylon. They saw favor in the eyes of the king. They were put in his service. They were given places of responsibility, places of importance. And one day, Nebuchadnezzar decides, I want to just remind everybody how important I am. I don't want them to forget that, you know, me and God, we're kind of on the same level here. So he builds this incredible statue, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, overlaid with gold. You have to kind of picture that in this big open plain. It was on a pedestal as they did. You could see it for miles when the sun shone. He wanted everybody to see that as an attractional point for people. And there it was. And just to make sure that people didn't forget why it was there, he said, okay, now, guys, every once in a while, the band's going to play. When you hear the Babylonian orchestra and the jazz band playing, when the music plays, you bow down to this image and show that you rever it and that you worship it. Well, the first time that happened, he had the satraps. I still don't know who satraps are, but the ministrators and the governors came and the music played. Everybody bowed down except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused. 
And I've always had a picture of that. I've kind of pictured this multitude of people bent over, the statue in the middle, and then they're standing there perhaps with their heads lifted to heaven. And then there's these two guys beside them kind of turning up and looking at them with scowls on their face and uh, the idea that, hey, we've caught these guys. We're going to betray them. And sure enough, that's what happened. People report him to the king. They tell him, hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, you have three guys who you appointed, who you've chosen to be in the land. They refuse to bow down. So Nebuchadnezzar's furious. He's angry. So he calls them in for a, a communication session. He wants to make sure they understand. Is it true that you guys did not bow down to the altar, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? And he, okay, guys, get with the program. This is really simple. I'm going to give you one more chance. When you hear the music, when you hear the band play, bow down. If you do, hey, everything's cool. If you don't, you'll be thrown into my fiery furnace. And then he says this, this great um, text that reveals what his heart really is at the end of verse 15. He says, you, if you don't worship it, you're thrown in. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? You see, he's declaring his omnipotence, that his God is stronger than anything else, that they are entirely at his, at his command. And if they don't obey there's nothing that they can do to save themselves, which we'll see that he's dead wrong later. Then we have what I call the heart of the story. This is really the clincher to this whole chapter, verses 16 through 18. This is where we hear the faith. This is where we hear the belief of these guys when they're faced with possible death. I've always imagined it's Meshach. I don't know why. I just assumed it was Meshach who spoke because I don't think they all threw... <laughs> spoke at the same time. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego replied. Let's just say it's Meshach for the fun of it. He says, O king, sort of, he says. You know, we don't have a hearing problem, O king. Uh, Our ears work fine. We hear you loud and clear. We don't have a language problem. We understand Babylonian real well. We've been here a long time. We don't have a mental problem or a logical thinking problem. We understand exactly what you are saying. But here's the thing, O Lord, O king. We have another kind of problem that I don't know if you get. We have a problem that's much bigger than you or your fiery furnace. You see, there is a God who we serve, a God who can rescue us from you, a God who is the God of heaven and earth, the creator and the king of the whole universe. He's number one. And our problem is that we fear him more than we fear you. He is our loyal, powerful, saving covenant God. He has promised to be our God. We have promised to be his people. And this problem is the biggest one we have. O king, may you live forever. Therefore, we cannot deny him. We cannot denounce him. We cannot do what you ask because it causes us to go against our commitment to our God, who is king of the universe. Okay, that's not exactly what they said. That's kind of what I think they said. What they really said, we can read it in verses uh, 16 and 17. Let's read that, Daniel 3, 16. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. This matter, (laughs) this life and death matter of whether or not we're going to obey and live or disobey and get fried. 17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand. 
O king. Therefore, my question, is this saying they knew without a shadow of doubt, doubt that God would save him? But then look at 18. But even if he does not, even if he does not, does not what? Does not rescue us from your hand, O king. If he does not save us and we do experience physical death in your fiery furnace, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That is so powerful. That just intrigues me. And again, my question, does this testify to the assurance that they were going to be saved physically or does it not? And if it doesn't, where did they get the faith to do that? Because I want that. I want to know how I can stand before a life and death matter and stand to my beliefs without fear. Well, his response is predictable, as you know. <laughs> King Nebuchadnezzar is not happy. He's just been told he's number two, king number two, and uh, there's somebody that they fear more than him. He's trapped in his words. He's a prisoner of his own pride. He's already said, if you don't do it, you're going to die. So even if he wanted to show mercy, I mean, I presume he liked the guys. He had put them in charge. They worked for him. He was required to do. And the, the, the verse is um, verse uh, 19. He was furious and his attitude toward them changed. I still remember the Setswana version. I worked in Botswana for years. And if you transliterate the Setswana back to the English, it would read something like, his face was distorted with black rage. It's kind of, so you can imagine a guy who's just, what's the word, apocalypse, <laughs> that thing where you're going crazy. I can't say it. Papletic. <laughs> uh -huh. Never say a word you can't, you can't pronounce. <laughs> I think I've done that every time I've been on these podcasts. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, his face just changes. He is angry. He's raged, and it distorts his, because he's been challenged. He's been embarrassed. He's been, his, his power has been threatened in front of all these people. So he, uh, he says, okay, we're going to heat this furnace up seven times hotter. I've never really gotten that. How is seven times hotter than a furnace worse than one time hotter? Hot is hot. You know, I'm not really sure. Is it three and a half times worse? And anyway, he heats it up, heats it up, Robbie, to make a point that this is going to be terrible. And they're throwing in. That's the story. But then the wonderful thing, what happens? God acts. God comes into this matter of life and death, this matter that they chose to publicly demonstrate. We are going to stand here. We are not going to cross this line. We're going to do what we understand, what we believe in. God acts. And Nebuchadnezzar takes a second look and his mouth drops open and he can't believe his eyes. And he says, look, look, I see a fourth person. Didn't we throw three in? Yes, there's a fourth person. And they're walking around in the fire. They're unbound. They're unharmed. The fourth looks like a son of the gods. The form of a person, but obviously something different. So an angel or a heavenly person. Someone who's divine. Somebody who is beyond just mortal. The presence of this fourth person showing up in his fiery furnace shows that the threat that he had was powerless. His, his threat of death had no power. There was somebody greater than him. There was a God more powerful than his. 
And this person actually jumped into the fire voluntarily to show that the death sentence of the king was powerless and that he could conquer it. And Nebuchadnezzar took notice, couldn't believe it, saw that they were alive, saw that what he thought would be the final solution for these three guys, a refusal to obey him. And he says, come out, come out, calls to them, come out of it. And he looks and the robes were not scorched and the hair of their heads were not singed. They didn't even have the smell of fire on them. They were totally untouched but what, by what he thought was the punishment that would certainly convince them to obey his decree. So, he says, he has a change of heart, Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 28. Suddenly there's a change of heart. <laughs> I like to say he had a change of tune. You know, when the music played and people were supposed to bow to the statue, he liked that tune. Now he has a change of tune and he says, verse 28, Oh, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. And here, I think, in verse 28, we have King Nebuchadnezzar himself providing what I think is the answer to my question. Did they know that God would save them? And I think the answer is yes, they did. Did they know that God would keep them physically alive? And the answer is no, they didn't. And how's that for being confusing? <laughs> now I'm getting old, you know, and I can be senile. And I think the key <laughs> distinction there is what we understand by what they were asking for. What were they being asked to be saved from? Were they being asked to be saved from death? Did they say our God is able to save us from what? Death? Pain? Or something else that I'm, I'm convinced that they were looking at death a little differently than we might think. If I were one of them, I think I, was, I, I would be saying, Lord, we know you can save me from physical death. If you choose, you can do that. But we know you can save us from what death really is. Not physical death, but eternal death. Because for a Jewish person, the worst possible thing was exclusion from the covenant. It was to be abandoned. Sheol or Hayes was that dark place where they stayed. To be excommunicated, to be disqualified from the covenant people was death. That was both physical death in a society where you were cast out of the camp, you had to live by yourself, but it was spiritual, eternal death. And I think that they were talking about the latter, that we know that he may or may not save us from physical death, but he will provide saving from eternal death, that is, living eternally separated from him. That is what we want to avoid. And if we disobey him, if we bow the knee to this image, if we worship Nebuchadnezzar's God, we are doing that. We are committing spiritual suicide with our relationship with God. We cannot do that. They were not thinking in terms of deliverance only from continued physical life, but real salvation saved into eternal life, which is living in the endless presence of God. So this kind of shows the difference between the material and the immaterial, the physical and spiritual. Maybe it's too simple. 
Maybe it's too easy. I'm not saying that I wouldn't be scared, that I wouldn't be frightened to see death in that furnace. But I think so often that when we pray, we pray, Lord, for, save us from physical death. Protect us physically, which is normal. We don't want to hurt. We don't want to be ill. We don't want to lose loved ones. But ultimately, from God's perspective, while that's important, there's another layer that is actually more important. It's asking God to preserve us from that death which is separation from him, which is eternal death, which happens if we never are in covenant with him or community with him, in relationship with him. So I'd like to think that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they had a clear foundation on which they stood. And whereas they knew God had the power to save them, they knew the stories. They knew the stories of the parting of the Red Sea. They knew the stories of the fall of the wall of Jericho and the Midianites getting conquered and uh, you know David and the Philistines defeating the Philistine. They stood and said, basically, if we are thrown into the blazing fire, verse 17, the God we serve is able to save us. We know that he can rescue us from your hand, whatever it is you think you can do. But even if he does not rescue us, and we die physically, we will not serve your gods because we do not want to die spiritually. We do not want to deny or defy the God who saves, the God who gives life, the God who has given covenant. And we know that when we don't do that, we will live forever in his presence, in his relationship, whether it's life or death in this world. That's the thought that came to my mind in this text. This is what encourages me from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How do we apply it in our lives today? You know, when you pray for someone, a loved one who might die, do you pray that, Lord, you'll save them? Do we believe that they can heal them? He can heal them. Yes, I believe God can heal our loved ones who are sick. Will he? I don't know. I don't know that he will heal them physically. I know from experience he doesn't always. But I do know that he will always save them from that death, which is eternal separation from him. Friends of ours in Botswana years ago had a 21-year-old son who they prayed for had bad cancer, and eventually he died. And the way his mom explained it, he said, we prayed for healing, we prayed for healing. And the way it finally helped her is to hear, well, God did not heal our son, but he kept him well. And by that, she meant he is well with the Lord now in his spiritual life, in his presence with the Lord, even though physically he wasn't healed. So that's kind of the dilemma we live in in our life today. And I hope this just challenges you to think about what God can do. Will he do it? What does it mean? Where do we go when we're faced with matters of life and death? What do we trust in? And do we have that eternal, constant hope that no matter life or death, God can preserve us and will preserve us. And if we're thinking about our eternal destiny and our eternal relationship and what God has in store for all of us at the end of this age, that it is well with our souls and we will be okay.